Thanks for joining the Sunrise Message of the Week podcast. We are part of the Sunrise Podcast Network. For more information on Sunrise Christian Center and our sponsors, the Send Network and Seattle Baba College, check out our website at isunrise.org. That's isunrise, sunrise with an O.org. Please help spread the word by subscribing, downloading, rating, and commenting on our podcast. The more you interact with our content, the more people will hear it. Now let's listen as Pastor Dan brings us the second message from our Revival Prayer series entitled 10 Truths on Revival Prayer. We're doing a series on Revival Prayer. Pastor John Pastor John was uh, speaking about 10 myths about Revival Prayer. A lot of time there's myths about prayer. A lot of times we have preconceived ideas or things because of our past, maybe from teaching or experiences that don't line up with the scriptures. And so he did a great job of 10 myths. So I want to share 10 truths on revival prayer from 2 Chronicles 7.14. And we're going to go to 2 Chronicles in a minute, but I want to kind of set a stage because as I've been preparing this, I've had about a month to prepare, so you better get ready. I'm loaded for bear. If there's any bears out there, watch out. And I've just been being saturated in these scriptures. I find that many people don't understand the context of 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and all the history that went on. I believe it's not only a prayer that was prayed in Solomon's day as they dedicated the temple, but it's a prayer for today. It's one of those prayers that can be applied. It meant one thing for them, but it means for us now, this is how we can pray as the church around the world to see a revival. And I love in Solomon's... uh, uh, storyline in Second Chronicles chapter 1 that, that God had appeared to him and said, ask what you will and I will give it to you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had God appear to me like Solomon and say, whatever you want, I'll give you. It made me stop and think, what would I ask for? I already know what I'd ask for. I'd ask for revival. And Solomon requested, he said, you know, you, show, show, you showed great mercy to my father David and made him king in his place. But he said, I'm going to ask you to establish the promise of my father, David. And it was interesting. David had in his heart to build a house for God. God said, I I never ask for a house, but because you, my servant, wants to build me a house, I'll let you build me a house. Now, David didn't actually get to build the house, but his son Solomon got to build the house. And so Solomon, when God says, what do you want to do? He said, I want to fulfill the promise that you gave to my father, David. And he said, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for money. He said that he wanted wisdom and knowledge to be able to help the people of God go out and come in. And it was amazing what God can do when we're obedient to God. And it's very interesting because most people don't realize where Solomon offered the sacrifice. Where all these things happen when we get to Second Chronicles chapter 7, before we get there, it's interesting because the very place that, that Solomon prayed is the very place where David in 2 Samuel 24 stayed the plague. The very place, it was at Ornan's threshing floor. If you remember the Bible or if you don't remember the Bible, I'll remind you there was a time in Israel's history where David was realizing how powerful they were and how much they had. And I believe this is a time maybe where God is bringing a new humility on the church. Because I think there's been a time where we've been pretty excited about all the things that are going on or happening. And what happened is David got prideful and he decided to count and say, well, look how much I've got. 
And, and his, his, his colleagues warned him and said, you know, don't, don't do this, David, but he went ahead and did it. And because he was trusting in numbers, really, rather than trusting in God, that was really his motivation to say, look what we've got here. And he had turned from trusting in God to looking at what he had and his resources. And what was amazing was, is that the Lord said, okay, he said, there's three options you have. And he chose the third option. He said, I'd rather fall into your hands. And so the Lord said that there was going to be a plague that would last for three days. 70,000 people were killed. But what's amazing is he went to Ornan and he went to his threshing floor and he went to the very place where now Solomon is going to offer the same sacrifice. The same place where his father David offered the sacrifice. And thank God for the men and women that have gone on before us that have gone to the great altars of prayer and have prayed for the hour that we're living in. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this church. This is our moment in history. This is our moment to rise up and begin to pray like we've never prayed before, to cry out to God and see a revival. I don't know about you, but I want to see a revival out of this. I want to see a move of the Holy Spirit unparalleled in human history in the Pacific Northwest. And so David, he offered he offered a sacrifice. Now, Ornan said, David, you're, you're the king. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you this. And David said, no, I don't want to offer to the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. So he paid him. And I love what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 25. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. And the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So that's motivated my prayers these last few weeks to say, God, I'm asking from, for a withdrawal from heaven. I'm asking for a withdrawal of the plague, just like David on Ornan's floor offered a sacrifice. It cost him something. It's going to cost us something to see revival. Salvation is free. Grace is a free gift to go to heaven. But you know what? It's going to cost something to have a revival. It's going to cost us to come to the altar like we heard, to cry out to God and to see a revival prayer released. And the amazing thing is the same place where David offered on Ornan's threshing floor, the same place in the context of 2 Chronicles 7.14 and the first part of 2 Chronicles is the very place that Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar. It's the very place on Mount Moriah where God provided a lamb, where God provided a sacrifice. So when you begin to put this all together, it's amazing. And I'm going to have us pray at the end of the service when we take communion together, and we're going to come to the altar, and we're going to begin to pray for a Holy Spirit revival. We're going to ask God to withdraw the plague. And, and Solomon is told, if you ever see a plague, if you ever see pestilence, if you ever see famine, and you pray to me this way, this is what I will do. So I want to encourage you. I just wanted to give some background, because many people know 2 Chronicles 7.14, but they don't know this is the place where David offered the sacrifice on Ornan's threshing floor that stopped the plague that was released on Israel and killed 70,000 people. So I'm going to begin to pray 2 Samuel 24, verse 25. I'm going to make it one of my, my special places of prayer to say, God, I'm asking you to withdraw the plague. I'm asking you, thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you that Abraham offered Isaac. Thank you, Father, that you offered your son. Thank you for what a great sacrifice. And you're the God who can stop the plagues and can stop the pestilences. So that is the verse in the context and of the whole history of what happened in Israel and the big story. But this verse in 2 Chronicles 7 really is about the dedication of Solomon's temple. 
The dedication service lasted seven days, and then after that, the next seven days was the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the 15th day, they were released to go back. And when they prayed in 2 Chronicles 5, he prayed, and they saw the glory of God fill the temple, and they all sang, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And so it's amazing what began to happen. So I just shared all that background to give you a context. I know it was a lot to take in, but now I want us to go to 2 Chronicles. I'm going to start in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 41. It says, Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep, so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God, and the priests attended to their services. The Levites also with instruments of the music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them, while all Israel stood, furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in the front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offering and the grain offerings. Skipping down to verse 11. Then Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make the house of the Lord and his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to them, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So let's look at 10 things we can learn from that verse, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sin, then will I heal their land. I saw 10 things in there when Pastor John was speaking about the 10 myths of revival prayer. Uh, I, I began to see 10 truths as he was speaking in that passage. First of all, the first truth is if. It says if. If is a conditional clause or supposition. So there's a condition to this promise, if. A lot of people say, well, if this happens, I'll do this. If this does this or if whatever. But God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And when God makes a promise and said, if you do this, this is what I will do. So I want to encourage you, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, 
he said that he would cause us to, and we would turn from our wicked ways, he would hear from heaven. Now the Bible's full of conditional promises where if we meet the condition, then God says that he will fulfill the promise that he gave us. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful if we confess our sins to forgive us. The reason we cry out to God and repent and turn from our wicked ways is because God wants to forgive us. He doesn't want there to be any barriers between us and him. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with him, today you can confess your sins and you know what he said? He'll forgive you. He'll wipe your slate clean. Matter of fact, one of the songs said that that he will sweep away your sins. It's amazing what God does when we can be forgiven. And God wants to forgive us. He wants to heal our land. He wants to stay the plague in our land. And 1 John 5, 14 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. These are the kind of prayers that God hears. This is the prayer that he promised. If we pray according to his will, we know it's his will to heal the land. We know he told David he would stop the plague. We know that he said that he would do incredible things when Solomon prayed. We know what he's promised in 1 John 1 and 1 John 5, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Isn't that awesome? And it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3.20. And I believe that God is knocking on the door of the hearts of people all around the world. Not only the people in the church, but people that don't know Christ. Isn't it amazing? It's not just the toilet paper sections that are vanished. It's not just the uh, sanitizing hands cleaner that's vanished. But there's actually places in Walmart and other places around the world where there's no Bibles. This is causing people to read the Bible. This is causing people to be drawn back to God. Yes, the plague is something the enemy wants to use to destroy people, but God wants to release his love and his grace and his mercy over people. And Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, the church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He's drawing the church to come back into a place where we would have an intimate relationship with him, that we could have communion with him. And the byproduct of that great revival, if we pray, I believe, will begin to see a move of the Holy Spirit unparalleled in human history. And we'll look back at this moment in history and say, look what God did in the middle of tragedy. Look what, the, what God did in the middle of what the enemy tried to do. And then he said, if, that's the first truth. The second truth, he said, if my people is the second truth. We are the people of God. We are the people who can make a difference in the world. I love 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are a chosen generation. We are the people that have been chosen to live in this generation, and we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation that we can come before God and cry out on behalf 
behalf of the land. Cry out on behalf of the nation. We need to be praying for our president and vice president and all the leaders, our governors, all the people that have to make decisions. We, his people, can make a difference by standing as priests before him. We are priests and kings to God. We have been given authority to cry out to heaven and watch heaven come to earth supernaturally by the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, if my people will hear the knock on my door, if we'll realize we are the people of God, we are the people who can make a difference in the middle of the coronavirus. And in Titus 2.14, Paul wrote, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. And I'm so excited what this is doing in the church's life is purifying the church to get back to the basics, to get back to prayer, to get back to the word of God, to get back to doing good deeds and showing kindness to our neighbors and those that are struggling and those that are doing things that, you know, that they need the love and forgiveness of God. And this is our hour to be the people of God. I was so thankful that we could go to Everett Gospel Mission and watch the people and meet the two cooks that have been cooking meals, just the two of them all by themselves for all these people. And they were given a, a lunch and a dinner off and they were so thankful and that we could show the love of Christ and kindness to God, that we can show kindness to Providence Hospital, that we can show kindness to a church that's starting in Everett that hasn't even been able to have their first service and you can give them over $12,000 we're a zealous people that are, should be full of good works, that should be generous. We are the people of God. People of God, let's rise up. Let's take the opportunities, not only to pray and seek him, but to do good, kind acts to our neighbors and our friends. So first of all, number one, if. Secondly, my people. Thirdly, who are called. You are the called of God. We are called by God. I love the call of God. The Hebrew word for call is kara. It means to call out or call forth by name. He knows our name. He knows who we are, and we've been called by God in this hour to represent Christ to the world. We've been called to be what God's called us to be, the people of God. In Isaiah 43, 7, the prophet Isaiah said, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. He made you. He created you. He created every human with a purpose for, to be on the planet. And this is an hour as we're in our homes, as we're praying, that we would realize that God has a purpose. And many of the purposes for people that don't know him is during this time, they will come to know him that he will speak to your neighbors. My wife and I have been walking through our neighborhood and as we've been walking, I've been saying, God, show us how to touch our neighborhood. As we're walking through the neighborhood, let your Holy Spirit fall. And for the first time, our neighbors invited us to come sit in their driveway last night. We just pulled up as they were setting their chairs out from going out to take a walk in Ferndale with our son-in-law and our daughter. And guess what? Our neighbors invited us to come to their house. It's what we've been praying for. Don't just take walks and get exercise, but say, God, let your glory fall on my neighborhood. Show me who you want to touch with your love. Show me who I can reach out to. Show me, because you know what? You've been called by God in this hour. We've been called for such a time as this. Just like Esther, this is the time for the church to rise up. This is our greatest moment in history. This is what we prayed for. This is what we've longed for. It didn't show up the way we wanted it, but I believe it's going to be one of the greatest opportunities for the church to show the love of Christ. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, God had a purpose for 2020. Before time began, God called you out and called you into this generation to make a difference. 
And it's so exciting to see what God's going to do. The third truth is you who are called. The fourth truth is those who are called, he said, by my name. We've been called by his name. I love the Hebrew word bakash. It means a mark or a memorial of individuality by honor, by authority, or by character. We've been called by his name that speaks of his character. We're going to see God show up and do crazy, wild things in this hour that we've never seen before. Jeremiah prophesied of all the great things. that He was a prophet to the nations, and he declared that things were going to be rooted out, things were going to be destroyed, things were going to be brought down, but then there was going to be a building and a planning, and many things are being dismantled right now so God can build and plan his kingdom for the coming revival that's going to be poured out on this area, that's going to be poured out on the nations, that's going to be poured out through and on his church. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. I've heard story after story how God's providing people. He's not only Jehovah Jehovah Jireh, he's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner and our victory. Our victory is in him, not in our circumstances. In the middle of any circumstance, he is our victory. He's not only Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Jireh, he's Jehovah Shama, the Lord ever present, who's ever with us, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Yes, I want to be with my church family. Yes, I don't want to be just with 10 people worshiping, although it was a lot of fun to be here and worship with 10 people because it feels the same way it does with everybody here in one sense. But you know what? I want to know that the Lord is ever present with me. And in my lazy boy chairs, I walk through my house. I've been weeping and praying, and his presence is always with me when I'm by myself or when I'm with my wife wife or with them when I'm with them. He's Jehovah Shammah. He will draw near to you. If you don't feel his nearness, begin to say, Lord, you're my Jehovah Shammah. Draw near to me as I draw near to you. And he's not only Jehovah Shammah, he's Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord, your peace. He wants you to walk in peace in this hour. He wants you to know that he will provide for you and take care of you. He's Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord who sanctifies us and purifies us. He's also Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. I'm so thankful that all my righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Christ, that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, and begin to expect God to heal people. Begin to expect when you hear of someone who gets the virus that you're going to pray and ask God's power to come. You can pray over the phone. I've been praying with different people, my wife and I, and they've been giving us phone calls. They're out of the hospital or God's raised them up from the coronavirus. They live in different states and places. God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. He's Jehovah Roi, the Lord our shepherd who guides us and cares for us. And there is so much power in the name of Jesus Christ. When we come to the altar today, when we come to the communion table, we're going to pray in the mighty name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've had the privilege of being in some revival meetings over the years. I've been in the charismatic renewal. I've been in John Wimber meetings. I've been in Seattle Bible College when the glory fills the place. And once you've tasted of that, nothing else is going to cut it really in the long run. And I want to see his glory fill the temple. I want to see Jehovah Shammah. I want to see his presence. I want to see a cloud of glory fill the church again. I want to see fire come down from heaven where we can't even stand to minister. I remember times in Seattle Bible College when the glory of the Lord came in the room. We were going to end a first period class and I just began to pray a prayer to thank God for the end of the quarter and the glory of God came into the room. I remember Stephen Mayanja was a student then and he got a call of God to go back to Uganda in that one little five minute prayer meeting that went on for three or four hours. The prophetic words came when Pastor Zetterson from Philadelphia Church tried to walk into the room. He didn't. He looked in, saw what was happening. He shut the door and I asked him later, why didn't you come in? He said, I didn't want to disrupt 
disrupt what God was doing. It went through the break time. They didn't even go to Larson's Bakery to get Danish rolls and stuff like that or donuts. And it went on second period. It went on third period. It went on beyond the school. And God visited people. I remember the day when I was preaching at Seattle Bible College in the upper room there and Tiffany Butler, who became a missionary and now gone around the world, she came next to the pulpit because the glory of God came in a Bible school class. She knelt beside the pulpit after I taught on John 3 and she said, I want to be born again. I go, right now? And she said, yes. I said, okay, we're not just going to talk about John 3. The class is over, but if you want to stay, she got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and the glory of God came into the room, and a man who couldn't lift his arm got immediately healed, and God began to move by the Holy Spirit. The world is crying out for a move of the Holy Spirit. They don't know what they're crying out for. They think they're just crying out for a, for a, for a healing of a, of a coronavirus, and yes, we need that, but way beyond that, God wants to fill them with his love and his grace and his power. We have power in the name of Jesus, and you can pray and watch what God does as you pray in this season. He said, if one, my people too, number three, who are called, number four, by my name, and number five, will humble themselves. What a humbling experience. What a humbling experience has happened through the coronavirus. What a humbling experience for the nations and man-made technologies and ideas. All of the nations of the earth have been brought to their knees. No one has the answer right now. Let's not fool ourselves. There's only one that has the answer, and that's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we, the church, who are called by his name, if we will humble ourselves... If we will karah, if we will bend the knee, if we will bring ourselves low, if we will give ourselves into subjection underneath him and humble ourselves and rely on God completely. I loved, I listened to a T.D. Jakes message this week and he said, you can't get higher than God, he's higher than you and you can't get lower than him. He's got lower than you, but we can lower ourselves in his presence and we can humble ourselves. And this has been a humbling experience for the church and the nations. Isaiah 57, 15 says, for thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We need a revival of the heart. We need a, a revival of contrition and humility because often we've walked in pride. That's what happened to David when he started to number Israel. You know, often we've looked at how great the church is and look at all the things we're doing, but you know, we've been brought again to a place of humility. It's one of the greatest places we can be as the church to know we need God to show up and God's gonna show up big time. You watch what God's gonna do. We haven't seen it yet, but as if you humble yourselves and pray, if we begin to humble ourselves and say, oh God, we turn from anything but you, we know that you alone can stop this plague. You alone can give the wisdom that's needed in all the things that we have need of. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Peter says this, likewise you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. It's amazing what God can do. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And there's been a humility that's coming on the church. There's a humility that's being brought to our life to realize, you know what, the world is out of control. The only one who can stop what the enemy is doing through the coronavirus plague is God Almighty himself. And we're being forced into a position where we have to humble ourselves before him. And then sixthly, he says, not only if, 
Secondly, my people. Thirdly, who are called. Fourthly, by my name. I know I'm saying over and over because I want it to just stick in your heart and mind. Fifthly, will humble themselves. And sixthly, will pray and seek my face. The word seek is bakash, which means to search out in worship and prayer to strive after. God's calling us to pursue him. I don't know about you, but I know my wife likes to be pursued. She likes it when I do things by my own initiation. She likes it when I take her places that she likes to go. She likes when I remember, you know what? God loves when we pursue him. God loves when we worship him. God loves when people respond to the knock on the door of their heart and say, yes, Lord. I don't know about you, but I've had some of the sweetest times of prayer over the last few weeks, just being alone with God and spent many times just weeping and telling him I love him. And he's been speaking to me about dreams. He's been speaking to me about things. He's speaking to children all over the world. He's giving dreams and visions and revelations like he promised he would. And we seek his face, his panim, his, his face, his very presence. He wants to have a face-to-face encounter. When you think of someone, what's the first thing you think of? You think of their face and what they look like. And he's inviting us to come and seek his face. And as we seek his face, as the church seeks the face of God and said, God, we've, we've sought other things. We've, we've sought uh, resources. We've sought, we've sought uh, to be well-known. We've sought different things, but no, we humble ourselves. I've been greatly blessed by many leaders in the United States Coalition Apostolic Leaders. We have a, a Zoom meeting that we do every week. And here are these great men of God, that many of them lead great large churches and large ministries around the world, and they're humbling themselves and say, Lord, we don't, we don't care about our reputation. We don't care about our size. We want you. And there's something that's happening that's bringing us back to a, that place of contrition. I was reminded how I was a drug addict and an alcoholic, and I used to cry myself to sleep. How I used to be tormented every night and I thought about people that are in the same condition I am right now because they don't have a savior, because they don't have a deliverer. It's given me compassion for people. It's reminded me that without him, I'm nothing. And I just want to encourage you, there's going to come a, trad- a, c- a contrition. There's going to come a humbling of our hearts and our lives before God. There's going to become a brokenness again in the church where we become a humble people that only want to point people to Jesus, our Messiah. My wife and I have been watching a special series called The Chosen, and it's really blessed my heart. I encourage you to watch that show. I encourage you to give to that show because it's showing Jesus in an incredible light and teaching people the scriptures. I saw last night there's over 22 million people that have watched it around the world, and it's escalating quickly because it's about the life of Jesus, and there's something that's happening in my heart. I'm being reminded of where I came from, and I'm being reminded of what God wants to do in our hearts and lives as a church, so I want to encourage you to humble yourselves. Humble yourselves and seek his face, it says in 2 Corinthians 3.8, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. And when we come into his presence, when we, when we have face-to-face encounters with him, when we, open our, we come open-faced, we come open-hearted, and, and we get really real with God, because in times of humility, we get really real with God. Maybe we can put on fronts with other people, but when God comes into our, into our presence face to face, you know what, we often get undone. We often have to admit where we've fallen short. We often have to admit that we need him so desperately. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for a revival. 
And God, I'm asking for a withdrawal according to 2 Samuel 24, 25, that all the pain and the deaths and all the things that have cost people so much, that somehow there'll be a withdrawal from heaven like there was in David's. We're going to ask for, it said that he withdrew the plague after the 70,000 people were killed. It says in 2 Samuel 24, 25, that God withdrew the plague. And I'm asking God to withdraw the plague and release his glory on the nations. Numbers 6, 22 to 27, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. God's gonna cause his face to shine upon the church. God's going to cause his face to shine on those who will humble themselves and seek his face. And then it says, number seven, that we're to turn from our wicked ways. We're to turn. It's the Hebrew word shub, which means to turn back. We need to turn back to that first love. We need to turn back to that place we remembered where we knew him and walked with him and loved him and served him with all our heart. We need to turn back from our wicked ways, any evil way. We need to repent. I talked about Jesus knocking on the door in Revelation 3.20. In Revelation 3.19, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He told the church of Laodicea, remember, I've been remembering the times when his glory has fell in rooms. I'm remembering the times when I've been at this altar and we prayed and God's presence has come and there's been answers to prayer. I remember the time when his glory came into South Africa and nine blind eyes were open and 13 deaf people received their healing and people were healed by the power of God. You know what? The world doesn't need another announcement of how we're going to try and in our own efforts stop the quarantine and do these things. We need the power of God to descend on this nation. We need the power of God to come back into the church. We need a people who will turn from their wicked ways and begin to cry out to God like we have never cried out to God and not just be worried about what, what are we going to do when we get out. Now, I know that's a normal, natural human response, but beyond that, I don't know about you. I want something to come out of this. I don't want to just, I don't want to just go through this. I want to come out of this with something for the future. I want to come out of this ready for what God's about to do. And we can turn from our wicked ways. And we're to remember from where we fall. And then we're to repent. We're to say, God, I repent of my sin. I, I turn from going this way and acting this way. And I turn once again to you. I want to look into your face. I come to your altar and I expect you to move by the Holy Spirit. He says, eighthly, then I will hear from heaven. I will shema to hear intelligently with an intent to have total attention and to be obedient. We want to hear from heaven so when God speaks, we'll say, yes, Lord. We'll obey. We'll do what he tells us to do. It says in 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So as we repent and turn from our wicked ways, then God begins to hear from heaven. His ears get opened. His eyes see us. He's looking for righteous people. And then number nine, he says, and I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin. Isn't it awesome that he will forgive our sins? And he'll pardon us. He'll spare us. In Psalm 85, 86, verses five through seven, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant 
In mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. God promised that if we will cry out to him and do what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he will hear our prayers. That's why we pray. That's why we worship at his feet. That's why we cry out to God and he will answer us. And then he says he will heal their land. Number 10. It's the word rafa. It means to mend by stitching, to cure, to make whole, and to heal. The land in Hebrew is igrets, to be from the earth, the land, the nations. It actually means the nations in the world. He will heal the nations in the world. 1 Samuel 7, when Israel was about to be destroyed, the prophet Samuel's prayers saved a nation. One man standing in the gap saved a nation. One man crying out to God saved a nation. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing what God wants to do through his church. 1 Samuel 7, 8, and 9, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And one man's prayer saved the nation of Israel. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. You know, we're locked in with God. We're in a perfect place to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're in a perfect place, and I was studying revivals the last few weeks. You know, the Great Awakening took place in 1734. The first revival of historic significance broke out in Massachusetts, where a young man named Jonathan Edwards was pastor. And he had incredible things. Five or six people were converted at the time. In only a town of 1,100 people, there was a number of hundreds of souls that got saved. And the news spread like wildfire over 100 towns. Starting in Philadelphia in 739, the great British preacher George Whitfield began to preach. They estimated that 80% of America's 900,000 colonists personally heard Whitfield preach. He became America's first celebrity. There was a great revival that was released. And the second great awakening happened in 1800 to 1840. James McCready proceeded over strange spiritual manifestations in Logal County. And there was a great move of the Holy Spirit that happened over the next 25 years through his preaching. Even though he was called the ugly preacher, some people just came to hear him because they thought he was ugly. God will use any means to get people to come to know Christ. Charles Finney then began his career, and eventually there was over 500,000 people that came to Christ through his ministry. An unparalleled 100,000 were converted just in Rochester, New York in 1831, causing the revival to spread to 1,500 towns. By 1850, the nation's population exploded fourfold to 23 million people. They were, those connected to church grew tenfold from 7% to 13% of the population. Then there was the businessman's revival in 1857 and 58 with Jeremiah Lamphere. He was someone just that the Lord said, what do you have me to do? And he said, I want you to start a prayer meeting for businessmen on the streets of New York City. The first meeting was set for September 23rd in 1857, three weeks before the bank panic of 1857. Six attended the first week, 20 in the next, and then 40. Then they switched to daily meetings before 
before long, the businessmen's prayer, there was a revival that broke out. It spread through the United States, and some called it the Great Prayer Meeting Revival. They estimated that one million people were added to, to church's role because of one businessman getting a desire to pray and cry out to God. As many as one million of the four million existing church members also converted. So one-fourth of the church was converted that time because a businessman started a prayer meeting in the middle of it. See, you don't need a whole lot to start. We say, well, we need this. You study revivals. It was usually one man or one woman that began something that catalyzed something in a place. The Civil War revival, the bitter dispute over slavery that trusts our nation in the deadliest war that we had experienced up to the time. 620,000 people were killed in that war, America. Americans. One out of every 50 counted in the census. And at the start of the Civil War, things began to happen. There was a great revival that happened. And then we had the urban revivals with Dwight Moody. It was incredible. Do you know that he spoke to over 2.5 million people in that revival, himself personally. And the worldview of Christians was shifting from a Christian consensus and something happened that caused the church to do some incredible things. And in the 20th century, there was the roaring 20s and people got into sin and the Great Depression came. But there was a great revival that started in 1905 with a black preacher that couldn't see out of one eye. And there was an amazing thing that happened that sprung out to the great Pentecostal revivals that were springing up all over William Seymour an African-American holiness pastor with one eye went to Los Angeles to candidate for a pastoral job. But after he preached, he was locked out of the second service. So he began to have prayer meetings in his home. He got locked out of the church because he was African-American. So he started a prayer meeting in his home. And isn't like God. Here's a blind, one-eyed preacher that's been kicked out of the church because he's African-American and God causes him to cause the 20th century to know a revival that went into the charismatic renewal, the Pentecostal revival, the Brownsville revival, the Toronto blessings, the charismatic renewal that started under Father Bennett, some say the father of it, and it goes on and on and on and on. And all those revivals started at some of the bleakest moments in human history, the bleakest moments. And I'm here to tell you that God's about ready to do something. God's about ready to call the church back to contrition and prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. And if we will follow these 10 truths of 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we're gonna to begin to see a revival. We're gonna to begin to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We're, we're locked into the best place to be at home where we can pray. There's no distractions unless you make distractions. There's nothing that should, I wonder what would happen if families at the dinner table got down on their knees. If you go back to 1 Kings 8, you see the parallel passage of 2 uh, Chronicles 7, 14. You see Solomon's prayer also in 1 Kings. You know what it says? It says that he got down on his knees. He got down on his knees. It's not as easy to get down on my knees as it used to be. It's even a little harder to get back up. But you know what humility means? It means to humble yourself, to get down on your knees before the king. It's an act of humility. It's an act of contrition to say, I bow down before you. I humble myself. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. The first prayer brought the cloud to come down in Second Chronicles 5, and the glory filled the temple where the priests couldn't even minister. I've been in some meetings like that where the glory of God over my lifetime, I long for them again. I long for the power and the presence of God to come on the church again. 
And after Solomon kneeled, and we find in 2 Chronicles 7 that he blessed the people, and it says that as he was kneeling, he got up. And as he got up off his knees, he began to bless the people, and he told them, if you will do these things, this is what my God will do. I know I looked down a lot to read. I wanted to make sure I captured everything that God put in my heart. We are ready, church. This is our moment. We're praying for revival prayer because we want to see a revival. We need to get into his face. We need to get into his presence and worship and pray, and we need to humble ourselves. We're going to take communion, and I don't know what's all going to happen here. Please stay at the end and watch the announcements and help redeem me from messing up my once a month being here. Thank God he forgives our sins. And we'll see the announcements at the end of the service, but I'm going to ask my wife to come up here in a moment. And I want to pray, and if you're here today and you're watching by live stream or you're watching this afterwards, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can come to his altar right in your home. I would even invite you to get on your knees before him and say, God, I don't know everything to know about you, but I've heard that Jesus died for my sins. That's what he did on the cross. He shed his blood that we could be forgiven. And I've been praying for people that have lost loved ones and I've, I've said, oh God, it's terrible to lose a loved one. It's terrible. Death is our last enemy, the Bible says. But beyond that, I want to know for sure that when people die, they're going to go to heaven. And while they're here on earth, that they know eternal life, that they know Jesus Christ. And that's why he died on the cross, that you could be forgiven, that you could humble yourself before him. You know, we're all, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if we confess our sins, it says in 1 John 9, 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna pray for the church that we would humble ourselves. And I'm gonna pray a blessing over Sunrise Christian Center and the churches of this area. There will come a move of the Holy Spirit unparalleled in human history. There will be a revival. And you know, when we take communion, I'm gonna ask you after communion is over, ask you to watch the announcements. You know, some of you have been texting during this service. I want you, after this service is over, after you've seen the announcements, after we take communion, I want you to begin to start texting God. I want you to begin to text him with 2 Chronicles 7.14. I want you to put your phones down and draw your attention away from other people. And I want you to focus on the text today, 2 Chronicles 7.14. I believe it's one of the most powerful promises for right now in the United States of America and the nations. And there's a cry that's come from heaven if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then I will forgive their sin. And Father, I pray before we take communion this morning, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you or will see this, I pray they will surrender their life to Jesus and they'll just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son to die for me on the cross. And I invite you in right now, Lord Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me, cleanse me. Become the Lord of my life. I turn to you. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. Fill me with your love. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood that you might be forgiven. And you can just pray a simple prayer like that. God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. Cleanse me. I want to be your son I want to be your daughter I want to fulfill the purpose that you have for me on earth and Jesus died on the cross and rose again that you could be saved that you could know God that you could be forgiven that you could spend eternity with him and that you could know his love and you could know his life 
So Father, for those that do that, I pray they would text in and say, we'll give them help, we'll give them a Bible, we'll help them with whatever we can. And Lord, as we come to the communion table today, we thank you. We humble ourselves. We thank you for what you will do and how you will do it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I ask my wife to come and we're going to take communion together. I just encourage you to maybe kneel before him or begin to pray and ask God to make you an instrument of Second Chronicles 7, 14 to pray and humble yourselves. He took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you and thank God for his body that was given to the cat of nine tails that had 39 stripes on his back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the crown of thorns that you wore. Thank you that you pierced your side. Thank you that you were willing to die on the cross in our place, that we could know you, that we could be forgiven, that we would come to realize what we were created for, to be your sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray for the body of Christ that this will be our finest hour, that we will rise up and we will pay any price in prayer and worship. We will pray any price and obedience that will come to the altar today, Lord. We'll come to the altar, Lord. We'll come to the altar, Lord. God, we'll lay our lives on the altar again, even like Abraham laid Isaac down. Even as David said, I will not give you an offering that doesn't cost me something. May we pay a costly price, Lord, not for our salvation, but to be your servants to be your sons and daughters to show your love to a world that's so desperately in need of love in the midst of this confusion we thank you on the night you were betrayed you took the bread and said eat this in remembrance of me thank you let's partake of the bread together thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus and it was on the night he was betrayed with his own disciples. He said, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. All the animal sacrifices were types and shadows proclaiming that one day the Messiah would come, that one day God would be manifest in the flesh, that one day Jesus would arrive, Yeshua HaMashiach. He would arrive on the earth. And John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, all of heaven worships and says, worthy is the Lamb of God who has redeemed us out of every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation. And it's the blood that cleanses us. It's the blood that forgives us. It was the blood of Jesus that was demanded for the sacrifice. It was his life poured out. And Lord, even as Paul said at the end of his life to Timothy, may our lives be poured out in this season. May they be poured out in worship and prayer and obedience. Motivated by love, Lord, we know our works are nothing before you to earn a relationship. We can't. But once we have a relationship with you, we lay down our lives willingly because of your great sacrifice. Thank you for the blood. Let's partake of the cup together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray you just bless in Jesus' name. Bless my wife. Pastor Terry to come and pray. God bless you, Sunrise family. This is our greatest hour. Get ready for what God's about to do. He's about ready to shake the nations in a whole new way.
Father, we thank you that in the times we're living in, when so many people are shaken, that you are unshakable. We thank you when so many things have been stopped, that you are unstoppable. And we thank you that life as we've known it has changed for so many of us, that you are unchangeable. Lord, I thank you today that your grace has not changed. I thank you that you still give strength to those who are weak. I thank you that your love has not changed. I thank you that your peace has not changed and you're still the God of peace. I thank you that you still give hope and that your hope has not changed. I thank you that you're still the God of the impossible and that hasn't changed. And I thank you that you're still the God with us, Emmanuel, that that hasn't changed. Whether people are alone in their nursing home or alone in their home, Father, we thank you that you're still Emmanuel, God with us. That hasn't changed. And we thank you today that your promise is still true, that if we do our part, that if we pray, if we humble ourselves, if we turn, if we seek, that you do hear and that you will heal our land. We thank you that that hasn't changed. We thank you that you're the same today as you were yesterday and you'll be the same tomorrow, that your promises are true. We thank you that you're still faithful, that that hasn't changed. And we thank you that you're good, that that hasn't changed. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. I'm going to ask you to bring your family or who's ever in your home, if it's yourself, and I'm going to ask you to kneel down before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to get your whole family together and make an altar. And I'm going to ask you to begin to declare 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to do what he said he would do. And you watch what happens in this next month. Something's going to shift. You watch. And I'm going to encourage you to declare 2 Samuel 24.25. When David did what God told him to do, it said God withdrew the plague from Israel. So I want you to pray 2 Chronicles 7.14. I want you to join with your family or your wife or if you're by yourself, you might call a, you might phone a friend and you might just say, could we pray together? And watch what happens when the church tonight gets on their knees and begins to pray because we need God. God bless you. Looking forward to being with you soon. Keep praying. Thank you for joining us today for the Sunrise Message of the Week. Check out iSunrise.org for more information. Take a screenshot of this message, share it on your Instagram stories, and help us get the word out. See you next week as we continue Revival Prayer.